African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, good morning. Thank you for joining us uh, right here on uh, Channel Africa. Uh, thank you for joining us for a new week of African Dialogue. Thank you for listening to us on our various platforms, on Shortwave, on DSTV Channel 802, and on our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, uh, also remember there are other ways that you could also listen to us. So you can listen to us on our uh, Channel Africa app. Go to Google Play and you can download it and check out uh, our um Channel Africa app where you can listen to us uh, uh, via your phone which is a good way to listen to Channel Africa as well. Well, uh, let's look at what we're going to be looking at uh, today. Uh, We're going to be looking at uh, this big crisis when it comes uh, to uh, the aftermath of Cyclone Idai which swept across Mozambique, Zimbabwe and Malawi. We're going to look at the humanitarian efforts that are being made currently, what still needs to be done to actually rebuild all these three countries after Uh, One of the worst uh, tropical cyclones uh, uh, hit uh, Southern Africa. Well, uh, let's uh, quickly move on now and get our news update. And Musa is just walking in. In the headlines, Sadek convenes a solidarity conference in South Africa with the Sahrawi Arab Democratic Republic. Malian President Ibrahim Babaka Keita replaces the Army Chief of Staff after 134 people were killed. And the Democrats in the USA, a report of Russia's alleged election meddling, may have been hasty and partisan. A very good morning to you, I'm Anne Musa. The Southern African Development Community, SADAC, is convening a solidarity conference in South Africa with the Sahrawi Arab Democratic Republic. The conference will confirm the region's support for the decolonization of the occupied territory and for the holding of a referendum on self-determination for the Sahrawi people. It opens this morning and ends on Tuesday in South Africa's capital, Pretoria. The conference with Sahrawi Arab Arab Democratic Republic constitutes, according to South Africa's Minister of International Relations and Cooperation, Lindue Sisulu, an important step to provide support for the struggle of Sahrawi people for independence. South African Political Party African Independent Congress, the, I, the ARC, is threatening to take the Electoral Commission to court if the Commission does not fix the current format of the ballot paper. The party accuses the Electoral Commission of not sticking to what was agreed on by the affected parties. This emanates from the 2016 local government elections, concerns about similar party logos and acronyms on the ballot paper. The parties identified by 
by the Electoral Commission. As similar are the ANC, AIC and APC. After the signing of the Electoral Commission Code of Conduct last week, there was a draw that was conducted to separate these parties from each other on the ballot paper. But the ARC President Mantla Galu is not happy about the ballot paper, saying it's not what the affected parties agreed on. Malian President Ibrahim Bubakar Keita has replaced the Army Chief of Staff and the head of the country's land forces after 134 Fuleni villages were killed by a rival ethnic group in the Mopti region of the country. The Malian government says it's also banning the Danna Ambasago Militia or self-defense group which it says carried out the attack. Video footage from Ogaso village shows the smoldering remains of people's homes the mud-walled huts collapsed after they were torched by the attackers. The Democrats in the United States say Attorney General William Barr's interpretation of conclusions into a report of Russia's alleged election meddling may have been hasty and partisan. The long-awaited final report of Special Counsel Robert Mueller concluded that no member of President Donald Trump's campaign conspired with Russia to help boost him in the 2016 vote. A summary of the report released by Barr says multiple offers of Russian help for the Trump campaign were not taken up. Democrat chairperson of the House Judiciary Committee, Jerry Nadler, says Trump is wrong to declare that he's been completely exonerated. I take from this letter three points. First, President Trump is wrong. This report does not amount to a so-called total exoneration. Special Counsel Mueller was clear that his report, quote, does not exonerate, close quote, the president. And finally, five people have been injured after a rocket hit a house in Tel Aviv and caused it to catch fire. Israel's army had earlier reported that a rocket was fired from the Gaza Strip at Israel. This comes at a highly sensitive time for Israel, which holds elections on April the 9th. The BBC's Yolandi Nell reports. According to Israeli emergency services, a house caught on fire after it was hit by the rocket. This is the furthest a rocket has reached in Israel since the 2014 conflict with Hamas militants in Gaza. The launch took place as Egyptian security officials were in Gaza to try to negotiate a longer-term ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. The delegation had just arrived the last time rockets were fired at Tel Aviv, when nobody was hurt. The Israeli military then attacked some 100 targets in Gaza. Recapping the top stories, SADC convenes a solidarity conference in South Africa with the Sahrawi Arab Democratic Republic. Malian President Ibrahim Boubacar Keita replaces the Army Chief of Staff after 134 people were killed. And the Democrats in the USA, a report of Russia's alleged election meddling, may have been hasty and partisan.
Well, thank you so much, Anne, for that news update. Just a reminder, at around 11.45 Central African time, we'll also get our uh, economics news, and thereafter we'll get our sports as usual. Well, today we're looking at the aftermath of Cyclone Idai, which swept across Mozambique, Zimbabwe, and Malawi. I'm reading this morning that the death toll caused by Cyclone uh, uh, Idai has risen to above 700 people as one of the worst uh, uh, tropical cyclones has devastated rather the lives of people in Mozambique, Zimbabwe and Malawi. As the call for increased international assistance continues, there's been concern that the region could also see a spread of disease such as malaria and cholera. According to agencies in Berea, it is said that up to more than 100,000 people are now in camps in Mozambique after the cyclone hit. Well, to help us on this, we're now joined by Chugere Chaguta, who's Amnesty International's Deputy Director uh, for Southern Africa. And then we'll have our other guests. I think we still are getting hold of them right now. Uh, But Chugere, thank you for giving us your time on the program. Uh, Thank you, Benjamin. Thank you for having us. Well, let's look at this particular devastation here. I mean, it's hit three countries. I mean, the worst has to be what has happened in uh, uh, the, in Mozambique. I mean, uh, when you see the images, you just see buildings uh, vanishing under meters of water. How bad is this uh, situation for Southern Africa? Um, thank you, Benjamin. Um, I think it's um, very evident from the images that we um, we are getting coming out of Mozambique, um, coming out of Zimbabwe, for instance, um, that uh, we the region has really faced uh, a very tragic situation. Um, 2.5 million people were sitting, um, you know, directly in the path of this cyclone, um, and of those hundreds, you know, of thousands of people have had their livelihoods. Um, affected by the cyclone. We've had um, hundreds of deaths, as you have just confirmed, and we can expect that going forward. Um, this cyclone will take a heavy toll on people in terms of, um, you know, how they provide um, for their food security, um, uh, access to clean water, access to health, and other rights. Um, uh, which you know, people of the region, uh, we should be, um, uh, we should be secured and we should be assured of. Mm. And in terms of this response, it seemed very slow at first, and uh, even today, when I was listening to some news items, it seems also that uh, the response and uh, the amount of resources in the country are a little bit uh, limited and restricted, uh, because also of the nature of uh, this particular crisis. Uh, I know that uh, Amnesty International also had an outcry in terms of the beginning of this particular uh, de- devastation in terms of really calling for a, a, an increase of uh, a response uh, to this humanitarian situation. Um, certainly. Um, so the response um, has been uh, inadequate right from the time when uh, warnings were issued, which was three days before the cyclone actually um, uh, hit the coast of Mozambique, um, we did not see an adequate and appropriate response to to the threat. Um, And after the cyclone hit, we have not seen an adequate uh, response to the needs on the ground. Um, So, you know, uh, in terms of humanitarian assistance, in terms of saving people who are still trapped, 
and providing for the basic needs of those people who now who have now been moved into safe places, and um, the response remains um, inadequate. Um, this is not only about you know the, the current response. You will know that uh, a couple of years ago we had um, the El Nino uh, uh, you know emergency in the region, and this is something that we continue to see um, disaster after disaster that the region, um, both at national level and as a region, we are not yet um, you know at a point where we are able to mount adequate responses um, to these disasters when they do happen. Okay, I'm going to take a quick break and we're going to come back to you. We're still trying to get our contacts in Mozambique. It seems like we're struggling with those particular lines there. But uh, as you can hear, we're joined by Tugere Chaguta, who is Amnesty International's Deputy Director uh, for Southern Africa. We're looking at uh, uh, the crisis of Cyclone Indai and uh, just uh, the situation that we are in right now and also the response mechanisms that have been adopted in this particular situation. It's a very, very dynamic situation whereby there's a lot of families that have been separated and uh, there's a, a lot of loss in terms of uh, homes and the uh, properties of these uh, ordinary Africans and uh, very, very uh, worrying images when you see what uh, we're seeing on our television internationally. And we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and see if we can get more of our guests on the line. Swiss chocolate wouldn't be Swiss chocolate without African cocoa. <laughs> you know, it's funny when you think about it that way because you realize just how important Africa is to the global economy. And as long as we are deemed to be inferior by the community out there, nothing's ever going to change. I believe it was one of the uh, ancient Greek philosophers who said that when we teach, we'll learn twice. Hello, Africa. Welcome to 1000 African Voices on Channel Africa. 1000 African Voices every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. with repeats on Sundays between 10 and 11 as well as on Monday morning between 3 and 4 Central African Time. 1,000 African Voices with me, Awurengwi C on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance from an African perspective. Well, uh, thank you for joining us uh, right here on uh, Channel Africa as we're looking at uh, the responses that have been made by uh, uh, various humanitarian organizations in this uh, crisis that we're seeing after Cyclone Idai. The International Committee of the Red Cross, or the ICRC, has launched a dedicated a digital platform in English and Portuguese to also help people concerned about their families after Cyclone Idai, with over one million people affected by the devastating impact of the cyclone. Many families in Mozambique, Zimbabwe and Malawi have been separated or have lost contact with each other. More than 200 people are currently registered on the site as missing. Now, uh, my colleague earlier on, Jane Ramutata, spoke to ICRC's Tendai Sengwe. And let's listen to this before we go back uh, to our guests on the line. Uh, we'll continue with the two uh, Gere uh, Chaguta on uh, this particular conversation. But, but let's listen to some of the initiatives that are made down on the ground. We've seen and, and heard pretty devastating and, and painful stories about people losing their homes, their belongings, and everything that they have. And most importantly, a lot of people are either missing or have lost contact with their families. As part of the Red Cross response, we are working to put in place volunteers and staff who can 
us to create systems to help to reunify these families that are separated. And the Restoring Family Links website for the Cyclone Nidai response is a key part of what we do because it allows those who are looking for their families, whether they're inside Mozambique, Malawi, or Zimbabwe, where they do have internet access, to have a central place where they can register, but also for others who are looking uh, to say that they're alive and well, uh, to be able to put information there easily and quickly. Now, for many of the areas where the cyclone hit have no power, there's limited internet connectivity, so we are also working to and have deployed our teams on the ground to have uh, a physical and face-to-face approach to reach out to communities, register them, and then we will also uh, be working to put that information on the same online database as well so that families who are looking can see more updated information about people who are confirming that they are alive and well. And we gradually build up this database of information to help us solve the and, and, and reconnect people as quickly as possible. And it will also help people outside the countries affected, right, who may be wondering about their family members. Let's say somebody's in South Africa but has relatives in Mozambique. Exactly. Um, that's the biggest strength of using a, a digital platform like that. It can help anyone in the world who's looking for their family member, whether they're based in South Africa, as many nationals from Malawi, Zimbabwe, and Mozambique are, but also further uh, afield. So if you're based in the, in the United Kingdom, the UK, or the United States, or, or in India, or anywhere else in the world, as long as you can get onto that platform and register the details that it asks you for, um, you can quickly uh, and easily say you're either alive and well or you are searching for someone. And you can even say you're alive and well if you are in the affected area and you manage to get out. So uh, that's also a key part of the platform, helping to, to share that information that is absolutely critical and that everyone's loved ones will be looking for. When exactly was it launched, Tendai? We launched the website, uh, I think it's now within 24 hours of the, the cyclone hitting it. So it was launched, I think, Monday the, this week. But we've been gradually promoting it. So, so far we have about... Uh, over 200 people who have registered so it's a, it's a bit of a slow start because also communications and information has been slow to move but we were trying to promote its knowledge and use actively throughout the countries that are affected and further afield to make sure that as many people as possible know about this resource and they can they can use it it may be too early i wanted to find out if has there been any positive outcome it is uh, a bit too early to say for now because our team focused on restoring family links are only being able to access the, the field uh, gradually. As you know, the main focus, uh, whether it's in Zimbabwe or Mozambique or Malawi, has been to, to save lives immediately. So our teams are going into the field now, setting up, the, doing assessment of what the exact situation is. Each context and each area affected is very different. So if we can use uh, other means, for example, radio, if it's still active and, and available in a certain area. That is a, another thing that we want to know is uh, what, what resources are available to complement this effort. So once our teams are on the ground, we, we can begin to get more answers and to be more active and most importantly to put a system in place so that the information is recorded in, a, in, a, in the best way possible to allow it, someone who eventually, even two or three weeks down the line uh, or even longer after that, to be able to access that information on the platform. 
Well, uh, that's the voice there of uh, Tendai Sengwe, there of the International Committee of the Red Cross, uh, uh, speaking there to uh, Channel Africa's Jane Rabutata there and uh, looking at uh, the various uh, different uh, um, initiatives that are taking place on the ground there in uh, these various countries in terms of uh, making sure that uh, this uh, situation is dealt with. We know that even right now uh, there is kind of a constraint when it comes to um, the response to the mechanisms and uh, it seems like the resources are also uh, very um, also restricted. Um, I'm joined by Tugere Chaguta, Amnesty International's Deputy Director for Southern Africa. It seems like we're still having trouble with our other uh, guests uh, from Mozambique. But Tugere, in terms of the complication in this regard, uh, you know, when you think of this cyclone hitting these three countries, it must be more devastating because it's not just one country that now uh, humanitarian organizations have to focus on, but it's three countries that have to deal with this crisis in 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 varying ways uh, how does that actually make things complicated certainly Benjamin. so um, what we are dealing with is, is you know a, a crisis of regional proportions um, what you would have in terms of uh, obligations at this moment is that uh, for each country that is affected the primary responsibility for uh, providing um, aid and, uh, you know, providing life-saving and other resources uh, uh, that people need at this moment rests with um, uh, national governments. Um, however, international um, governments are also obligated to provide aid um, where this is required, particularly in crisis situations such as these. Um, while that is established, um, when we have a, a crisis like this, we expect that there should be coordination at a regional level because, um, as you would expect, um, logistics is still very difficult right now to get the necessary resources to affected areas. Um, uh, power, uh, supply, information is still uh, very intermittent. Um, and people are still trapped. There are people that have not been reached as yet. So you will find that there is need, uh, you know, to, to, to send in um, helicopters and the like, um, and that has not been uh, provided adequately. So we are dealing with, um, you know, three countries um, that all require a very high level of response at the moment, um, and resources are not adequate. Um, so that's the concurrent nature of, of, of the crisis across uh, borders is what provides, um, uh, you know, the, 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 the highest level of uh, uh, complexity at this moment. Mm. And in terms of that regional response, do you think it's been coordinated enough? I know South Africa has been uh, going there in terms of independent uh, response mechanisms utilized, but also I I hear that uh, the uh, South African Defense Force will also be there uh, in the few days to come alongside uh, some other medical experts there. But in terms of a collective coordinated effort, do you think enough has been done in in, in that regard to get it? It seems very fragmented and I'm not sure it's because this crisis came at a time where it wasn't expected. So the original response has um, has not been as coordinated as uh, one would have expected um, for, for a crisis of, of, of this magnitude. Um, I think the, you know, the, the, the assistance that's coming from, uh, from South Africa um, and from other countries, it must be mentioned, um, Tanzania has sent some assistance to Zimbabwe, is, is very welcome. 
um, but you you would expect um, you know a much stronger uh, regional coordination um, for for this kind of practice, and that has not been forthcoming. All right, since we're struggling with our friends from Mozambique who are going to let us know in terms of what's happening there because we're struggling with the lines. We're now joined by Glenn Tyler who's agreed last minute to give us uh, their viewpoint in terms of 350.org and he's a team leader at this uh, global grassroots uh, climate movement. Glenn, thank you for giving us your time. Hi, Benjamin. That's a pleasure. Uh, as, as I mentioned, it's a very much uh, um, difficult situation we find ourselves in, as we've been highlighting that even the, the internal um, response mechanisms uh, from a uh, um, high-level um, uh, system is not really seen because uh, the coordination seems very sp- sporadic, Glenn, and uh, fragmented right now because this um, cyclone is hitting three countries. In terms of your viewpoint, I mean, do you think that things are done enough in terms of the humanitarian responses we've seen so far? So I think there's a lot more that can be done by the sounds of things. I'm not um, an expert on the humanitarian response that's taking place. It sounds like there um, definitely was a greater response to previous um, Mm. cyclones. Mm. And my sense is that this is linked to a lot of issues that are happening um, in South Africa, Um, the slowdown in our economy and Mm. our ability to respond to these sorts of crises. I think, you know, linking it to to climate change, as climate change or or global warming increases, we're going to see more um, intense storms of this type um, hitting, you know, often the most vulnerable populations. Um, And in Africa, you know, we really have a situation where we have not uh, um, contributed to climate change, but we're feeling the worst impact. So it's a highly unjust situation. situation and I think we really need to hold those who are responsible to account and in particular the fossil fuel industry and make sure that you know we're really moving away from fossil fuels we're making them account for the damage that they've done and we're moving to uh, a just transition to a renewable energy future. And in terms of that, I mean, how bad is this particular situation? You highlight the fact that we might see more of these kind of cyclones in uh, the region. I mean, what do we know about uh, this? And uh, are we ready in the region to respond uh, to to such issues, Glenn? There, there definitely is a link between these sorts of cyclones and climate change. Um, while we can't say this particular cyclone only came about as a result of climate change, the intensity of the cyclones is definitely increasing, and that's um, attributable to climate change. Mm. The warmer weather and the warmer climate means there's more warm air and um, moist air um, above the sea, and that is essentially the fuel that drives these cyclones. So we will see more intense storms, and we do need to, to prepare for that. Obviously, we can adapt to these sorts of um, weather anomalies that we see, and we can make sure that we're ready and prepared to respond and help people who are affected by them. But I think what we really need to be looking into is addressing climate change, because Mm. that's what's really driving these cyclones. So Mm. by moving away from fossil fuels, by moving towards renewable energy, and really, you know, every one of us as individuals putting pressure on our leaders to make sure that this happens, you know, to make sure that, for instance, in South Africa, we're not saying that we're going to put... 
build new coal-fired mm. coal power plants, which is something that you know the government is saying that will happen. It's been um, shown in the integrated resource plan, our, our energy plan, mm -hmm. that we will build new coal-fired power plants. That's an absolute climate crime. We cannot go ahead with that sort of um, with that sort of uh, course of action. I'm going to take a quick break and we come back to that issue of uh, response readiness. If we see this um, happening again, can we learn any lessons from uh, this uh, current situation that we're in? Uh, that was the voice of Glenn Tyler. We're going to stay with him. He's the SA team leader for 350.org, which is a global grassroots climate movement. We know there have been warnings from many experts around the weather patterns, especially in Southern Africa, that have been contributing to unpredictable predictable weather patterns. Also on the line helping us uh, look at the humanitarian response is Tugere Chaguta, who's Amnesty International's Deputy Director for Southern Africa. It's almost uh, 28 minutes past uh, 11 o'clock uh, Central African time. I'm going to take a quick break and we'll still try in our background to uh, get uh, the context from Mozambique because it'll be interesting to be speaking to people who are experiencing uh, this uh, uh, sad uh, crisis and uh, we'll be great if we can do it by the end of the program but we have been struggling with the lines there but after the break we'll continue the conversation this is channel africa south africa's official international public radio station on shortwave internet and satellite from an african perspective Guess what? You can now listen to Channel Africa using Silozi, Chinyanja, Kiswahili, Portuguese, French and English, giving you an African perspective. Hi, my name is Tandalunyan Zovo and you are listening to Channel Africa. We are Channel Africa from an African perspective. Channel Africa, bringing you the African perspective. Yes, today we're looking at uh, uh, this uh, cyclone Idai that has uh, hit uh, uh, three African uh, countries in the Sadiq region, Mozambique, Zimbabwe and Malawi. And we've uh, heard the latest reports, not quite sure how accurate they are, but uh, agencies that are based uh, in uh, Mozambique have highlighted that 700 people have been uh, killed uh, in this uh, uh, particular uh, cyclone that is said to be the worst to hit uh, uh, Southern Africa. And uh, together, um, we've been speaking to Glenn there, and he's been highlighting some of the factors that you've been highlighting, especially the fact that we have seen uh, um, the, uh, the weather patterns on the Southern African region actually change. And, and, and that is a very interesting issue because I don't know how aware of that, those particular changes we are of from a government perspective, from a, uh, a humanitarian crisis, but also from a citizenry uh, point of view. Um, should we be worried after this particular event and should we be doing more to find out uh, the reasons behind these weather patterns and how we can actually uh, be more ready uh, next time something like this happens? Mm. Thanks, Benjamin. So go ahead to get it. Thanks, Benjamin. So, you know, Glenn is right. While, um, while we cannot at this moment attribute this particular cyclone to, to climate change, um, um, you know, records show us that uh, we, are con we are starting to experience more and more um, frequent uh, extreme uh, climate um, events uh, and the intensity of those events 
um, is, is, is getting much stronger. So we can expect that, um, uh, you know, this is essentially the, the, the new normal in this region, as it were. Um, coming to your question, um, in terms of how we are prepared and what we need to do. Um, SADC as a, a regional block adopted, um, you know, uh, a sadness, uh, SADC preparedness and risk, uh, disaster risk management um, a framework in 2016. Um, and a number of countries in the region have, um, uh, you know, related frameworks. However, where we need to move from is moving from these plans and frameworks into actually operationalizing them, ensuring that you know, they enable us to be prepared at national and local levels. Um, one of the challenges around this has been the financing um, of, of, of um, you know, these, these frameworks and the preparedness that mm. needs to come along with it. Um, secondly, it's about information, and mm. you are right. Um, we all need to be better informed. Um, there's a need for, for greater capability for analysis uh, at the regional and local levels in terms of early warning, um, there's also a need for, for, for greater awareness um, amongst uh, the people of the region. Um, when you read uh, in terms of this particular cyclone, what happened is that three days before the cyclone um, uh, hit landfall, there were warnings um, that were given. But there was a, you know, a variety of responses. Because we are starting to experience flooding um, and such events almost on an annual basis, and um, some people didn't feel it, um, you know, uh, important enough to move. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, when it then hit, it exceeded the capacity, um, uh, you know, that people have developed over years to respond. And not only at uh, individual and household levels, um, but we also have from Zimbabwe statement mm -hmm. from the relevant minister actually saying um, this, uh, you know, the effect of this uh, uh, cyclone has exceeded what we anticipated. Sure. So, yeah, information and analysis is another area where uh, the region needs to get much stronger. And in terms of another worry, staying staying with you there together, before I go back to Glenn, is the issue of uh, now, because this is uh, a very devastating uh, uh, water-based crisis here. We're also seeing um, waterborne disease such as cholera and malaria that, that could be spreading, and we're hearing that from various experts. Uh, how serious is this particular outcry here, and uh, what more needs to be done in that regard to deal with that health aspect of things? Mm. Um, so this is um, typical following, um, you know, such... Um, um, such events. Um, what we should now be expecting is that because um, sources of clean water um, were damaged and sanitation facilities uh, were damaged, uh, diseases such as um, you know cholera mm -hmm. will now be presenting themselves. And so we do need now um, in this uh, recovery stage to see more um, more assistance and more resources. Uh, being directed towards, uh, you know, protecting access um, and rights of people to, you know, to, to, to health, um, and rights of people to access uh, uh, safe water. And so we are not out of the hood yet. Um, uh, this is an area that will continue to be quite critical um, in the next um, weeks into months going forward.
Coming back to you, Glenn, because that's um, an element that's very interesting, especially around uh, these patterns that we're seeing of weather changes. Should we be more aware of what's happening in terms of these particular patterns? And uh, maybe the issue of the climate change uh, agenda should be more realized uh, in the region after we're seeing uh, these extremities uh, when it comes to our, our weather patterns. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, the second part of your question is um, definitely more pertinent. I think we do know exactly what's going to be happening and what's coming down the line in terms of climate change and the impacts it'll have in the region. Uh, These sorts of cyclones and more intense cyclones is something that was predicted, as was, you know, a drier South Africa, for instance, which is something we've seen with um, the droughts um, in the Western Cape and in Cape Town in particular last year. So we know what's going to be happening, we know what's coming, and we also know what to do about it. And, you know, in some cases, and, you know, particularly South Africa, which is one of the biggest contributors to climate change on the continent, we know what we need to be doing. And we need to make sure that we are fulfilling our um, contributions to the Paris Climate Agreement, the Global Paris Climate Agreement. And we need to be doing that by transitioning away from fossil fuels, from coal, oil and gas as soon as we can. And I think the plans are there. The, the ideas are there. We, you know, there, There's nothing more really that we need um, other than the political will. And we need our leaders to, um, to act on climate change and to make sure that they're prioritizing this, not only um, you know, for um, our own contributions to the fight on climate change, but also to avoid these sorts of impacts that we're going to be seeing more and more of. Again, you know, climate, um, you know, climate change is a justice issue, and we in Africa are mm-hmm. going to be feeling the real impacts mm-hmm. of climate change, and we need to make sure that that doesn't happen going forward. It's interesting that you say that, Glenn, because in the climate change agenda issue, sometimes we've been talking in the past few years as if climate change is not something that's going to impact us in the near future. But now we're seeing that things are actually happening in in a rapid uh, motion. But, uh, you know, we've been following the story here on Channel Africa and uh, various reports have been coming through. And the late the United Nations says that dire conditions in vast areas of uh, southern Africa and the aftermath of Cyclone Idai as heavy rains continued uh, to cause massive destruction in the region. The World Food Program warned that the situation is likely to deteriorate and that people are still in need of rescue from rooftops after the devastating storm swept through Mozambique, Zimbabwe, Malawi. Let's listen to this report by Sherwin Bryce Peace, uh, who was reporting from the UN agency, which was a for millions of dollars in funding as it aims to reach 600,000 people in the next three weeks or so. And then when we come back, we'll wrap up with our guests. The Mozambique National Disaster Management Institute says more than 100,000 people are still isolated without assistance in the Chimoy, Dombe and other locations in Manika province. As UN agencies scale up their response, as the breadth of devastation becomes clear, for Wurzel of the World Food Program. Now that we have a bit more information on the situation, it looks clear that the number of 600,000 will definitely go up uh, in the coming days. That has, of course, implication on, on cost. If we help 600,000 people for three months, that's a cost of $42 million. If we need to help up to 1.7 million people for three months, that will be a cost of $121.5 million. Obviously, we don't have uh, that money today. 
Extensive damage has been caused to major roads and bridges, which are now impassable, while power networks have been severed and are unlikely to be restored for several weeks. For the moment, WFP only have one cargo plane who arrived very, very quickly. We will remember that was probably the first cargo to, to land. Um, the food from that cargo is not yet fully distributed. Then we have uh, the, the problem that we have is more the access. Then we, we can have the food coming, but then we have a problem of distribution of that food to people because most of the people are basically on a rooftop or in, in a place where we cannot access by, by road. Then the boats and helicopter will be the way to distribute. Wursel also raised concerns about the distribution network infrastructure required when aid is delivered to the region. Let's not forget that in the port for the moment you have no infrastructure. That's the same at the airport. For example, our plane, when the plane arrived, that was nothing to take out of the plane all the food. Then that has been done manually by people. And people need to take box by box out of the plane. So we are not talking about a few hundred kilograms. We are talking about uh, quite a, a few megatons. I mean, and that will be the same problem uh, for the moment, at least in the port. When when boat will come, that will be a very long process because all the machinery is, is not working. The infrastructure is, is not working anymore. Relief agencies are on high alert with concerns for the possibility of secondary floods and the spread of communicable diseases. A major humanitarian appeal is expected in the coming days. Listen to Gemma Connell, who leads operations for the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs in Southern and East Africa on some of the heroics performed in rescue operations in the days past. I have the most profound respect for the colleagues who have been carrying out those flights at true personal risk to themselves. So both the South African uh, Air Force and the Mercy Wings colleagues were flying these flights for search and rescue over very fast-flowing floodwaters, dropping down at high risk in high-challenging helicopter environments to collect people literally from the top of houses and roofs to carry them to safety. It's absolutely amazing what they managed to do and the lives that they saved in the most incredibly difficult conditions. So I have the highest respect and the utmost. Um, I, I, they're, they're basically heroes, these colleagues who were doing this these last days, and they truly saved lives. The death toll in Mozambique is officially at 242, in Zimbabwe 139, and in Malawi at 56. Those numbers are ex- well, that's the voice there of Sherwin Bryce Peace there. Let's uh, wrap up uh, this uh, conversation with our guests. As you could hear there, uh, Tugere, it seems like uh, there has been a limitation of resources. I think the call by Amnesty International still remains important for an increased uh, assistance in what's happening in these countries. What what more do we need to do as an international community in this regard? And there may be the people in the international community listening. Uh, what would we call for right now? in this dire moment? Um, so, two things. Um, in addition to the call for, for, for resources, um, in the immediate uh, basic needs of people that have been affected um, uh, should be met, um, and their right to, to food, to housing, uh, safe water, health, and protection 
um, should be uh, made available. So governments should take their obligations seriously and make sure that people that have been affected um, have their human rights uh, uh, protected during this time. The second one is that um, governments uh, should also take their obligations seriously and make the necessary investments in disaster risk reduction, climate adaptation, um, and their international obligations uh, in so far as ensuring that we hold um, climate change. Mm. Uh, let me wrap up with you, Glenn. Your, your final sentiments. Yeah, I think I agree with Tigere, and I think he's definitely better place to talk about the humanitarian response and the response of governments to this particular crisis. I think in general we need to um, make sure that African governments are addressing climate change um, and making sure that even the small impact, uh, small contribution that Africa makes to climate change reduces and reduces quickly. So, for instance, resisting um, foreign powers coming into Africa wanting to sell us old and outdated coal um, technology for producing electricity. We've got amazing renewable energy resources on the continent that we can use, and we should really be prioritizing that in order to leapfrog fossil fuels and move towards a renewable energy future that will help um, to reduce these sorts of impacts um, on the continent. Well, thank you to our guests. Thank you to Glenn Tyler, who is the SA team leader for 350.org. I know we called you a bit late, Glenn, but thank you for giving us uh, your analysis there. Um, and uh, thank you for giving us your time. That's a pleasure. Thank you as well to Tugere Chaguta, who is an Amnesty International's Deputy Director for Southern Africa. Tugere, thank you for also uh, giving us your analysis on this humanitarian uh, situation we're seeing in uh, Southern Africa. Thank you. Thank you for having us and thank you for listening. Well, uh, let's quickly take a quick break and then when we come back, uh, we'll get our business news. And thereafter, we'll also have our sports. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Again, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Again. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Yeah. Well, let's uh, quickly move on and get our economics update. Tracy Bumgard is with us. Thank you, Benjamin. South Africa's power utility Eskim says although it remains optimistic that power cuts will not be affected this week, its power system is still vulnerable and load shedding will be implemented only if absolutely necessary.